Welcome to the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, science, and all things performance for cyclists and triathletes, helping you be a stronger, more savvy athlete now and for many years to come. Here's your host, Menachem Brody. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. This week, we sat down and talked with Joe Lavelle, co-host of the Wise Athletes Podcast, and uh, we covered quite a bit of different topics here, ranging from why less is not necessarily better in reference to just riding your bike, how there are 12 different areas that you'll want to pay attention to and balancing and understanding where your low-hanging fruit, aka easy wins, lie as well as the questionnaire that he put together for the Wise Athletes podcast, which you can find on the link in the show notes to their homepage, the free fitness practices assessment. So fill in the gaps for powerful levers of change. This was a really great conversation that we actually had recorded a while ago, and I was just trying to figure out how do we build this into the schedule for the best possible outcome for you, the listeners. And here it is. So the last couple of weeks, we've gone through the Masters athletes. We had uh, Tim Cusick a number of weeks ago. Before him, we had Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn helping us to understand how to make better decisions with the area method. Uh, And then we had uh, Jim Slauson last uh, guest episode. So we talked about uh, coaching the Masters athlete and, and becoming a grandmaster athlete, and Nimrita Brook on sports nutrition. So as we've gone through this journey, we're kind of bringing it together here to meet many of you where you are. So last week with uh, Dr. Slauson, um, he tends to be very deep into the training. He really enjoys diving into the deep end. And Joe, as you'll hear, has a very different approach where he's coming to it looking more as a recreational athlete who is thinking about optimizing for longevity at this point. Whereas, as you'll hear, he'll describe that early on, uh, you know, he would pick up weights here and there, he would go rock climbing, hiking, uh, and really just go all in. And he used the word obsession when he first started riding his bike. And we'll also hear about his twisting life journey that took him and his climbing buddy to the bike on the pavement, uh, despite their... Uh, irreverence for it, we'll say. And it's a really great conversation that we had, and I hope you really connect with it. Uh, And he and his co-host, Glenn, have a fantastic podcast over on the Wise Athletes. So the links will be in the description. Uh, Let's jump into the short update here for the week of April 30th, 2023. Well, this past week was really great on a number of levels. We had uh, some summer-like weather. We managed to get out for a a nice hike last weekend with the kiddo. He did it all by himself. We did a full hour and a half. Uh, He walked, no stroller, no hiking backpack. So that was a a big step in the right direction. Um, And it was a really great time, just absolutely perfect weather. It was, uh, I think, uh, low 80s here. Uh, Not a lot of humidity. The wildflowers uh, are all out pretty much. Uh, We had some rain the week before, so it was a really great week. Managed to stay nice and consistent with the training for myself. And uh, we're really progressing the track team here. We moved into some uh, concentric only movements, which is uh, very new to all of the athletes that I'm working with over at the track uh, and something that they are really tapping into and realizing that all the small habits that we've been forming over the past eight to 12 months have been leading up to this, really the last eight months. 
And it's a lot of fun to see the self-realization as far as what they're capable of doing, uh, to see them work through good days and bad days, to understanding the true power of trading by RPE. You know, hey, I don't really feel great today, so I'm just going to, you know, see what I can do. And understanding that it's not the weight that matters, it's how you move it. And, and I'm not going to disclose the training I'm doing with them because it just doesn't make sense. I don't know you. I don't know your training background. I don't know what you've been doing. Uh, but for these guys and gals, it has been absolutely uh, phenomenal to watch their journey over the last eight months. So uh, we have a, a C2 race here, a UCI race this weekend. So that'll be a B race for them, which means Thursday we're going to do a sharpening exercise uh, session, which will be a lot of fun. So this session is going to be exactly like what many of you should be doing through your summer season to allow you to see all of the gains from your strength training and maintain the adaptations you've built up over this winter. So if you'd like to learn more about this, I, I can't describe this session in 15 minutes or a half hour. I can't describe it on a podcast, but I will be describing it in a 90-minute workshop, which will be on May 21st, Sunday, May 21st. It will be recorded for those who are unable to attend live. Uh, it will be $79 uh, US. And those who signed up for the Strength Training for Cyclists and Triathletes program uh, back in December will receive this as part of that program. Uh, but if you would like to attend, sign up to the HV Training newsletter. I'll be sending out all of the information in the newsletter here on Wednesday of this week, May 3rd. So if you're interested, uh, that is how you will get the information. I'll make sure to announce it the next two weeks, uh, but it will be on Sunday, May 21st for $79. US other things that have happened this past week, we're starting to see more signups for my masterclass at the Science in Cycling Conference in Bilboa, Spain, which is very exciting. Uh, that will be unlike anything else you've seen uh, or experienced because we are actually going to go through some of this stuff. And uh, it's very exciting. The more I work on this presentation and the workshop and the more I refine the masterclass, the more excited I get. It is just going to be an absolute blast. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll challenge some of your preconceptions about strength training and help you to understand the nuances and big and small differences between strength training for performance and strength training for general fitness. The last little thing that happened is some of you may realize my voice is not as strong today. I managed to have uh, some food poisoning the second half of yesterday. So I spent the day uh, at home, second half of the day. And, uh, you know, I was due to train today, but I have learned through many mistakes over the years that uh, the day after getting over some type of foodborne illness, whether it's a stomach virus or food poisoning, um, I may feel okay but my energy usually drops off and it's not going to be a high quality session. So I've pushed my training program back this week, even though on Friday I had an absolutely stellar um, high intensity interval session. I was very, very pleased. My coach was as well. Um, so really excited for that and to see how things progress over the next couple of weeks. But um, that is pretty much it. You know, there's not much else going on here. Um, pretty much just focusing on getting the riders ready for the summer. Uh, we do, by the way, have two, three, four spots open for the Big Year Blueprint. I'm going to announce it on uh, Facebook and Instagram later this week. But if you are looking to tie together your strength training with your cycling or to have a strength training and cycling program to help you be able to perform throughout the summer season, now is the time to sign up. Uh, the Big Year Blueprint is a... Uh, 
in-depth program, where it's a personalized strength program or strength and on bike, where we have live weekly phone calls, uh, Zoom calls in a small group setting. Right now there's uh, three folks in the group, so I mean small group. Uh, and we'll go over everyone's questions, look at your technique. It is fantastic for those who are looking to learn more and to get more out of their program. So if you're interested, you can email me, b as in boy, r-o-d as in dog, i-e, at humanvortextraining.com. Without much further ado, let's get into episode 165 with Joe Lavelle of the Wise Athletes Podcast, Optimizing for Longevity. What is your low-hanging fruit? Joe, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Menachem. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we just had a, a good uh, 10 or 15 minutes beforehand. We, we had to hit record because you're just saying some, some really great points that I, I think will resonate here with the Strong Savvy Cyclist uh, community. But uh, before we dive in, I know that the listeners, uh, many of them have tuned into my episode on your podcast, the Wise Athletes Podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who's Joe and, and how did you get here? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do it. Uh, so yeah, Joe Lavelle, regular guy. You know, I, I run startups for a living and I'm an athlete, uh, a, a master's athlete. For those of your audience who, know was, who knows what that means, uh, when I was younger, I was a rock climber and a mountaineer. And then I moved into cycling for my sport. And uh, my path to becoming, let's just say, passionate about learning about performance improvement and, uh, and also longevity, it kind of, I'd say it started about 20 years ago when I started having to compensate for getting older, you know, for lack of a better phrase, uh, you know, and at first it didn't require much. I can still remember when I gave up sodas, for example, um, but the older I got and the more I looked for ways to compensate and the more information I found, the more it seemed that all the information conflicted or was based on studies of young men or was just marketing BS. So I, with uh, Dr. Glenn Winkle started the wise athlete podcast, uh, just about a year ago, a little more than, so we could discover what would make a difference for the older athlete looking to both improve performance and to extend the time in life that we can be uh, strong athletes. And you guys have had some very non-traditional, so to speak, guests uh, on the podcast as well. Uh, the most recent one that I listened to was the blood flow restriction training. How, how do you come to these different athletes, uh, or excuse me, the different uh, guests to help become a better athlete? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, there's, no, there's no method to it. It's just what occurs to us as, hey, this is something that might, there might be something there, you know, because it's an exploration. So we're digging around in the mud, trying to find things that are relevant. And, uh, and that, I mean, that's covered like recovery to prepping for races, to racing on Zwift, to using yoga uh, for cyclists. We did an episode on hypnosis, sports hypnosis. Uh, you know, nutrition, back pain. So it's been a bunch of, a bunch of different things, just whatever occurs to us. And we've been really pleasantly surprised at how willing experts like yourself have been to help us out, to come and share 
their expertise, the, the slice of their expertise that applies to the older athlete and, and, and in particular, the endurance athlete. It's been drinking from the fire hose, but man, I'm having a blast. I'm going to put it out there, wiseathletes.com. Uh, you can find the link over. Um, and you actually have one that I still need to, to listen to. I'm just looking at my to listen podcast uh, list, and it's actually number two here. And that's the one you had with the muscle activation techniques uh, specialist, uh, uh, Rhoda, Rhonda? I, I, I Rhonda, don't have yeah. any. Rhonda. And that's something that I, I think a lot of uh, master's athletes, and I include myself in this, uh, really could gain from. Uh, I was very fortunate to meet. Uh, Joe Dantonis, who was uh, one of the very early mass, uh, muscle activation technique specialists in Pittsburgh. Um, these folks tend to be super knowledgeable. Actually, a previous intern here, um, uh, Pepe Cherum, is actually, uh, or Jose, I should say, is his real name, his professional, um, does muscle activation technique. He actually helped me almost make it to Mallorca for a training camp with Velocious after I tore my meniscus. Um, point being is that the muscle activation technique is something that is very, very different. It's not strength training. Uh, it's a lot of neuromuscular compartmentalization, uh, understanding how the spine interacts. How did you find her? Like what, what stick in the mud, which, which mud pile? Cause that is not mud. That is gold. <laughs> that is just right out there for you guys to grab. Well, you know, I, I, I was talking to one of the listeners who's an old cycling pal of mine, and he had suggested doing an episode with John Menzel, who is a, a coach and a, a, a very high performing master's athlete. He was just competing at Worlds here a month ago, uh, and he said that he was happy to do it later, but he was busy prepping for his, his tournament and that I should talk to his wife, Rhonda, who was a muscle activation technique expert. And I was like, muscle activation technique. Well, that sounds good. I don't know what that is exactly, but it sounds good. Let's do it. And I'll tell you that I have, I still have yet to uh, see her, but I have taken her advice and applied it to my every morning stretching routine. And it has solved a problem that I had forever with tight hip flexors. Uh, so I agree with you. It, it's, a, it's a real thing. It can help people. Yeah, and the, the process to get that, that piece of paper, it is a, a truly lifelong process. Uh, I actually first read about it, um, Romo. Uh, do you know uh, John Romanello, the 1980s Raiders, early 90s uh, football player? Uh, he was oh, the guy. Oh, yeah, Romanowski? Yep, exactly. He's the one who came out about the concussions. Um, a very, very yeah. special personality, uh, very strong on a number of levels. But I read about there and uh, met Joe just because he happened to work at the JCC. Because uh, I, I mentioned to somebody I was reading about it, and I think Lori was like, "You need to meet Joe. Joe's Joe's a really knowledgeable guy, and I think he knows a thing or two about this thing you're you're talking about." It Pepe has been to Denver. I think he spent over 200 hours there to, to get to this point. And it is the knowledge of the human body is insane. So I, do you have an, in mind to go see her soon, or is it a matter of just kind of uh, making the time and, and, and getting over into her schedule? Well, you know, I'm actually pretty lucky in that I don't really have problems. You know, uh, when I was talking about, uh, you know, I hit flexors, I just met my hip flexors were tight and they've been tight forever. 
And every morning I would stretch them out and they always hurt and were tight, no matter how you know, consistent I was in stretching them, they never got looser. And she said, well, yeah, that's because they're tight because you've got other muscles that are weak or inactivated. You've got to activate them and then your hip flexors will relax. And sure enough, that's the way it worked. I, I was able to you know, come up with a couple of things, one of which I got from you to do to activate my glutes. And then seconds later, I mean, literally like 10 seconds later, I would do my hip flexor stretch and they wouldn't be tight or hurt for the first time, you know, I, I'll say in my life, but, you know, just in the many years since I've been cycling, probably. That's awesome. So, so it, I don't actually have big problems that would really necessitate me uh, going to see her, although I don't have any objection to. Well, it sounds like then uh, you are very on path for the goal that you mentioned right before we hit record here. Uh, if you want to share that with the audience, if that's all right. Well, yeah. So, you know, so I'm doing this for myself and, and so it's all free for everybody, you know, tag along and learn at your own pace. You know, I'm, I'm doing it through the fire hose and, uh, and, and loving it. Uh, but my goal, of course, I want to be faster and stronger tomorrow, but really my goal is to be a strong athlete for as long as I can in my life. And so that means, you know, I, I, I've said this on the podcast before, but just sort of, sort of in humor, but not entirely. My goal is to be a strong, fast on my bike while I'm doing a bike tour of Italy when I'm 90 years old. And that will be success for me. And failure for me is to have not kept perspective, uh, not kept my perspective and then crashed my bike too much and gotten injured. And now I, and then I can't ride my bike anymore you know, two years from now, that's failure. So let, let's get into that a little bit, because a lot of masters athletes, uh, I find that it's more prevalent in the, in the masters who participate in the weekend rides to call somebody on dangerous riding, you know, are you an idiot? And they don't hold back, you know, P's and Q's, so to speak. Uh, whereas the racing in masters is some of the most aggressive uh, that I've seen and also experienced personally way more than you know, the cat three, four races in, in Pittsburgh or the two, three, four that I, I participated in. Have you, is that kind of where that, that thought process comes from is your own personal experiences or, or what you've heard from uh, other friends and their experiences in the Peloton? There's, you know, if you're racing, you're crashing. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that there are people who there's people who are lucky and there's people who are really good. And there's people who have really good judgment and so they avoid things and you know i'll have to sort of own up to having a, a little bit of a pack of poor judgment when it comes to racing and i i don't i become more aggressive and i can't seem to stop myself from going for it when I'm charging right into a mess. Um, so is that because I'm, you know, 
got bad judgment or, or, you know, cause I don't have the skills. I'm not sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna point fingers. Um, but I, you know, I think that there, there is danger associated with riding a bike that, that could be just in bike handling, uh, or being around people who don't know how to handle a bike or cars out on the road. Uh, so there's, there's a, there's stuff to know to, to staying healthy. But when I was referring to success and failure for myself, I, I was really just trying to make the point of, I don't, I'm not trying to optimize for winning some sort of championship this year. I'm trying to optimize for the long run. And that might mean not being as fast as I could be this year. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that there's a trade-off there, but it seems like there could be, you know, stressing my heart too much or, uh, you know, doing too much high intensity and, and not enough recovery. I mean, of course, that's not a good idea in any case, and that wouldn't lead to higher performance in any case. But just the, the idea of trying to maximize my performance now is not what I'm after. I'm after trying to, I'm, I'm focusing on being healthy and feeling good about myself, meaning that I'm still athletic and, I, and strong and I don't have pain that's limiting me. And so that's what I'm trying to do. So it sounds like if I'm not mistaken, you are looking at this Well, one, I mean, it, it is the longevity, obviously, but also you have a much more robust and a far-reaching idea as to what health and fitness actually includes. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah. And that is a long, it's been a long time coming. Uh, you know, the, not that I've invented it, but I have, I have built a framework of thinking about that for myself and it, and I'll say that it really came together as a, as a consequence of doing the podcast. Uh, you know, so as I mentioned, the first thing that I was after, the only thing I was after when Glenn and I started the podcast was to understand what is true. What is, what should older athletes know in order to make good decisions about improving performance and staying healthy and extending the window for being a strong athlete. That was, that's what I was after. But pretty quickly, I came to understand that there's a lot of things that matter. And so I really needed a way to prioritize, a way to sort of sort through all of that, to kind of apply an 80-20 rule. Uh, and so I, I made an effort to try to summarize what I learned into a framework, just to make it easier to get a handle on it, uh, and figure out what is low hanging fruit in each of the buckets? And so by low hanging fruit, I mean, you know, if, if you think of everything that is true for some people and that matters, you know, to most people, there's kind of a, uh, things that are hard to do and things that are easy to do, uh, and things. And, and then the other dimension would be, things that have a big impact on your health and things that have a little impact on your health. And so what you'd really like 
to be able to find are the easy things to do that you're not doing yet that have a big impact. And that's where you would want to focus. So I came up with this uh, framework I've been talking about that, I'll, and then I, I came up with a questionnaire that of course I took and, I, and I've offered it to other people to take. And what it does is it helps every, each person, because everybody's different, to find where their low hanging fruit is that they can get the biggest bang for their buck in terms of improving their, you know, let's just say healthiness because a healthy athlete is in a better position to be a strong athlete. And uh, with the questionnaire, I mean, when you look at this uh, and, and you had sent this to me before we recorded here, um, hopefully we'll get a chance to actually go through this. Uh, it doesn't take long. It looks like about what, 10, 15 minutes or so to, to complete. Yeah. Yeah. 10 minutes. If you answer quickly. <laughs> um, so it sounds like there's, there's an ability for those who just want to kind of get a quick idea. Is it a snapshot of an overall, you know, how, how is this questionnaire organized as, as far as what are your main considerations? Like, are you looking in a specific order for, what the most common overlooked areas for master's athletes are, such as proper sleep or better nutrition or stress management? Like, how did you come up with the, the main focus for the questionnaire and how could it help the listeners a little bit more dial in and figure out what their, uh, you know, quick or best return on investment would be? Yeah, oh, good question. And, and, I, and I'll answer by saying that I've tried to come up with a framework and a set of questions that are comprehensive. Now, the framework is comprehensive. The questionnaire, because I didn't figure people would want to spend 10 hours answering questions, uh, you know, I had to pick what made sense to me and the research that I did uh, and, the, and, and the information that I gleaned from talking to people like yourself on the podcast that I thought would be the most representative set of questions so that in a short amount of time, 10 minutes, people could get this snapshot uh, assessment of where they're strong and where they're weak and where they're the weakest is where they should focus their change efforts. Of course, the, the problem that I, the first problem that I encountered in trying to do that, uh, even for myself, was that knowing what to do, even knowing what the easiest things that will have the biggest impacts to do, that's not enough because it's so hard to change your behavior. It's, 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 it's almost impossible to stick with a fitness plan. Now, it is true that if you've got enough willpower, then you, you can do it. And I actually am one of the lucky people and I've got pretty good willpower, but willpower won't do it. You know, you get tired, you get stressed, you, you, you lose it. And, and you're the sort of that voice in your head, which is saying, relax, sit down, don't bother getting up, you know, eat, go get, go get seconds, ha eat that brownie. Are you crazy? You know, that little voice that talks to you all the time, it never gives up. And so if you're living on willpower, then you're only going to win 23 hours a day and you're going to lose uh, eventually. And so it's, 
the the last part, and I, I've actually added it in now to the questionnaire, is this idea of essentially mindset and habits, because uh, we've got to be able to convert these things that we know we should do, these um, behaviors that we know are healthy, and we've got to turn them into things that are mindless. They're automatic. They take no effort to do them. Um, or we like them. We've learned to have, to get reward, feeling rewarded for doing healthy things. And so even if they're not automatic, we want to do it. You know, as an example, I've, I've, in a way that I've been fortunate, I have long enjoyed going to the gym to lift weights. I get pleasure from that. I want to go. It's very rare that I will be tired and say, oh, I just don't feel like going because I know I'm going to have a good time that when I go. So it's that kind of an idea. I'm sure that, you know, people listening here, that will resonate with them. They have things like that, but that is actually an ability. We all have the ability to create habits and to create uh, a sense of pleasure in doing things that are good for us, not just eating junk food, if we know how to do it. And so that, that's a part of the questionnaire that I have. And, and uh, I'm happy to kind of walk you through the pieces and parts of it, uh, if you're interested. Well, let's pause here for a second, because you've hit on a really important part that so many people overlook about the power of habit. You know, yeah. the, the title of Charles Duhigg, Duhigg's book is The Power of Habit. Uh, uh, James Clear, Atomic Habits, which took off yeah. with uh, uh, readers. BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits. All of these are based around some things that you really uh, dug into here just a little bit, Joe, and, and I want to hear a little bit more here. Uh, one is that decision fatigue, right? So, you know, I, I would say even if you're using willpower, it's not the other 23 hours of the day. You have another 22 hours of the day if you're using willpower because there's only so much in that cup. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, presidents have people pick out their clothing and they just decide on the tie for the day. Um, <laughs> that's why you have a lot of these um, I'm reading a book called Outsiders right now about these uh, uh, CEOs who had prolific returns uh, for their company's shareholders. And they were, they essentially made it uh, a non-decision. Are we going to participate with the Wall Street hullabaloo? Uh, and they decided to do share buybacks in the 1970s before it was popular when their their stock was dirt cheap instead of very high. And what's interesting about these high performers, and this is just the book I'm reading currently, uh, and also those in, in professional sports, be it master's professional or professional professional, when you talk to them, exactly what you described, they find a, a true deep enjoyment in the process, not in the outcome. And with a lot of master's athletes, it seems that in today's world, you know, a lot of the, the stuff is geared towards the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and it's very overwhelming with the data that for a lot of master's athletes these days, it's a power meter, a heart rate, measuring your food, and which diet should I do? And what if I'm, I'm perimenopause or postmenopause as a female? What do I do then? And it's just this flood of information versus what you're talking about, which is it's all a mindset. Make your mind up what you enjoy doing or what sacrifice you'll be willing to make and allowing you to take advantage of that to make it a joy as opposed to a job. 
Yeah, I totally right. I totally I agree. And, and you know, just having I mean, one of the problems that a lot of people have that I, I you know, I have less than I used to because I've been working on it is just a level of comfort with being uncomfortable. You know, when you get that feeling of being hunger, of being hungry, the instinctive reaction is, oh my God, I have to eat. You know, like my body is going to shut down any second and I'll die. Uh, of course, that's not how the body works. Uh, you know, uh, most people on the planet could not eat for 30 days and, and live. Uh, now, I, I haven't ever done that myself. So I say that with confidence, but without knowledge. Um, but still, the, the idea that we are slaves to our feelings just seems to be wrong. And, and if we can get control of ourselves, by not by trying to overcome with power, willpower, what our instincts are telling us, but to work within ourselves, to reset our instincts, to reset what gives us pleasure, to be things that are healthy for us, that's the way to do it. And we, and the experts who I've read like you, uh, and I've even got one coming onto the podcast, I think next week, uh, to talk about this uh, habit uh, making and breaking process. Uh, they tell us that there are scientific studies that explain why it works and that they've got um, a history and helping people to do it. So I think that this is the key to all of this being possible for all of us, myself included. And it sounds like you, you've taken your, your background in working with startups and your eye for understanding businesses and how they work to best identify in, in what you had uh, sent over here, this questionnaire, to help the users or the listeners in this case, be able to not only find that, but also to identify essentially easy wins. I mean, uh, I think you had used the uh, fitness practice gaps as the terminology uh, in, in, in the, the intro to it. These are small things that most individuals would say are rational. Uh, I'm just looking at the, the uh, thing you sent here, uh, core strength and anaerobic, uh, uh, cardio body composition, gut health, metabolic flexibility, eating real food supplements, daily restoration, addiction management, which is a big one, uh, hormone balance, which is another big one. And then mindset, these are all logical, right? But yet we're so flooded with information. So how, how does the questionnaire kind of help the listeners uh, or the users be able to identify these gaps? How, how do you look at this and, and do you kind of order them from most important to least important, or you just give them to the individual and say, which, you know, essentially they decide which one is, is the, the one they want to go down? Uh, no, it's the same questions for everybody. The, the scoring is uh, designed in order to, because not all, not all questions are of the equal weight. So the scoring is done automatically and it, and it, it different questions are weighted differently and different categories uh, are weighted differently. The idea is to 
again, it's a rough tool because it's 10 minutes of questions. Um, but it, it seems to work pretty well for people to come out and, and, and essentially when they, most of the findings are what they knew. They knew already. Now they didn't necessarily know that that was where they should focus, um, but they, they already knew that those areas were weaknesses of theirs. Uh, and so probably the, the most benefit that comes out of the questionnaire is in just highlighting where the biggest areas of opportunity are so that they can prioritize those ahead of other things. You know, if you're, if you're already in the 90th percentile on cardio and you're in the 10th percentile on strength training, then putting another hour a week into your cardio isn't going to have nearly the effect as putting that hour into strength training. But Joe, I love riding my bike for hours on end. I hate the weigh room. <laughs> well, in the end, it's all about your goals, you know, and if your goal, uh, and I mean this hypothetical person, if that person's goal is to be healthy and strong uh, as an older person for a long time, then you got to focus on your health, not just on what you like and, uh, and on your race results tomorrow. Well, you mentioned, uh, for a longer time here, uh, that was another thing I, I just happened to, to watch here. Uh, I can't remember what day it was, but, um, Harvard professor, uh, Dr. David Sinclair, uh, yeah. essentially did an interview with Bridgewater associates, uh, talking about preparing for a world with longer life expectancy. And one of the things that really strikes me with, uh, with your podcast and a lot of the questions that you ask, um, is you're looking at retirement or, or having more time to train as a new stage in life. It's not I'm just going to go and do these bicycle tours because I'm retired and I can. It's I want to enjoy them. And I want to be fast for them. You know, how do you kind of look at this this twelve uh, areas to not just performance on the bike, but also to be able to live a healthier and much more enjoyable time after you're done with your technical nine to five job or career? Yeah, well, it it it's designed to do just that. It points out where you're already doing well. And so you're not encouraged to put more effort on what you're already doing well. So there's no effort, there's no uh, direction to try to maximize your performance in a particular area. The focus is on looking for your gaps, for your weaknesses, and trying to fill in those gaps because that's where you're going to get the big payoff in your health and being healthy is going to allow you to be, to get stronger and remain strong for a long time. Hold on a second. <laughs> you're not looking to maximize, but you're looking in an individual, but you're looking to help kind of even the keel. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, filling in the gaps, uh, you know, maybe fill it even the, even the keel works, but, uh, the idea, anyway, the, this is the, we had to come up with a way that would apply to everybody. Not everybody's got the same goals, but we I think it's a fair assumption 
that everybody wants to be healthy. Uh, for anybody who doesn't want to be healthy, this, this questionnaire wouldn't be useful. But as long as you want to be healthy, then this survey helps you to understand where you get the biggest bang for your buck in improving your health that sets you up then to, to if you wanted to, to maximize your performance. The questionnaire doesn't do you, doesn't give you any advice on how to maximize your performance. It only tells you where to fill in the gaps where you're weak. I absolutely love that. That was, that was not a dig. I want to make that clear to the listeners. That was not a dig. I got genuinely excited because everything out there nowadays is we're going to maximize your time on the bike. I even say it, hell, you know, let's maximize the time you have available to strength train. But it's not about maximizing all the time. It's about just getting the things in balance and plug in the holes that you have. Like for me right now, it's my diet for, for sure. And I will disclose that today was not a great day. There was Pizza Hut, <laughs> just Uh-oh. two pieces and uh, two balls of, uh, we have an ice cream scooper of Ben and Jerry's uh, New York Super Fudge Chunk. Although there was a, a green salad uh, with half a red pepper, two cucumbers, a, a steamed carrot, which was delicious, uh, thanks to my son not eating it, uh, and then uh, as well as some apple juice, uh, fresh pressed. So there's a little bit of balance there. I just felt my gap was in the ice cream pizza. I hadn't had that for quite some time, and I had a, a craving. So the point is, is that it sounds like this is going to help you recognize where you naturally want to go uh, and where you just tend to avoid, like I honestly go out of my way to avoid pizza and ice cream most times. And then occasionally I get a craving like this. All right, let's do this. But it's, it's, it's very much in balance. It's not maximizing my ice cream craving. Whereas right. when it comes to the fitness side of things, uh, like right now, uh, I'm, I'm building back after Corona. So that means walking with my son, yeah. uh, rucking. Sometimes I'll carry the backpack if I have the energy, but also, uh, filling in the gap of naps. I've always been awful with naps and yet they're one of the best things you can do. How did you come to, to a, a decision of we're not going to maximize. We're just going to identify wh- where the gaps are. H- how did that thought process go? What did, what was that like? Was it your own personal failures or just from seeing others go through and like, dude, you're trying to maximize something, but here's clearly something that's going to help you. That's a pretty easy fill. Uh, honestly, it was not an instinctive thing. I, cause I am also a maximizer, you know, um, uh, you know, trying to, you know, I, fa- I found, yeah, I, I get, a, I got addicted to cycling and I, you know, and I would cut out everything else so that I could do more cycling, you know, thinking that that was going to make me perform better. Uh, so anyway, I, I was just saying that that's, that wasn't natural, but as I sat down and thought of this in a, like a, you know, as a, as a pro, as a businessman solving problems, it, it was a, a process that took me some time to get to the bottom of what would really be valuable. And this is what I came to uh, that, uh, that I, and I think that it's the right answer. Uh, It has helped me and has helped uh, a number of people who, who have uh, uh, participated in it. Like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and leave us a review.
So let's talk a little bit more about you as a, a rider, as an athlete. Um, you mentioned doing a tour in Italy. Like, what does a normal uh, week or month look like for you? Do you have a specific mileage targets, time on the bike? Like, how do you kind of structure uh, what you're doing fitness wise? If you're looking at, okay, how do I fill the gap? Is there a constant weekly or monthly uh, flux to how you're exercising and, and staying in shape? Or you kind of, uh, have your, your set, you know, six to eight hours of riding a week. And then you kind of play with where life is to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that. Uh, it forces me to admit that, uh, this all is fairly new for me. Um, you know, I, I was just sort of following my gut for my whole life. And it has not been until recently as a, as a part of this learning experience, this journey that I've been on with wise athletes that I've had to reassess and think about really what did I want and how would I go get it? And that has led me to reverse that trend that I just said, where I was going, doing fewer and fewer things and focusing more and more on writing. And, you know, and I, it was even like, not even, try dodging, doing things with my family so I could ride my bike more. Uh, and so I'm, I'm off of that track. Now, uh, I ride less by a lot, le less than I have in, I think since I started riding, uh, I, and that's because I'm, I'm focusing on two other things intensely. One is that I have picked up resistance training again. I, I, I did a lot of that in high school and sort of off and on, you know, doing executive type workouts. Uh, but now I'm, you know, I started having pain in my back and um, in my hips and, uh, and, it, and it, again, it made me, it was a part of rethinking what do I want and how am I going to get it with this knowledge that I have now. And so I decided that I was going to be a more balanced athlete. And so I do uh, resistance training three days a week. I lift, um, I use machines uh, for safety and I lift pretty hard upper body and I do some lower body, a lot of body weight, you know, single, single leg, like Bulgarian split squat type thing. Um, dumbbells, sometimes just high reps and, uh, and some, and some weights, but that with an, with a, an idea to strengthening my body and rebalancing my body, uh, trying to recover essentially from doing, you know, 15 hours a week on the bike plus 40 hours a week in a chair and, you know, becoming a hunched over old dude and, not liking that. So I'm, I'm working on my posture, working on all of my muscles to balance myself out, but yet I love riding the bike and I want to continue keeping my cardiovascular fitness good. So I still ride. I probably am doing, I have occasionally, you know, like I probably am on like a three or four week cycle of, you know, hard to easy. And, uh, and I might do 10 hours on a hard week um, and five hours on an easy week. And I try to mix in re, you know, a little bit of max effort, 
you know, max heart rate. Uh, I'm already lifting to failure, uh, at least once a week. Um, but on the bike, I, I try to get to max heart rate, you know, at least once every other week. And, and mostly I'm, you know, I try to do more endurance pace. Of course, I, I suffer, I still suffer from intensity, training intensity discipline, uh, you know, somebody goes by me and I, and I catch them. And it's like, what am I doing? But, uh, I'm working on it. So it sounds like you got into cycling. Sorry, I didn't mean to come in so loud. I just got excited. Uh, it sounds like you got into cycling a little bit later on in life here. What yeah. what has that journey been like? Because a lot of folks, did you get into it because it's low impact and and it's healthy? Like, how did you get into it? And how quickly did you did you spiral down the, oh my goodness, I have to ride more. This is fun. I need more. I need more. Yeah, it's, an, it's actually a kind of a, it's an interesting and maybe a sad story, uh, but uh, uh, you know, my wife is a cyclist, has been for most of her adult life, and she was after me to ride a bike, and I, you know, and I, I did mountain biking, you know, that was exciting, you know, occasionally falling off a cliff and 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 always worrying about it. So I was, you know, I had it, it could keep my attention, but I always thought, oh, riding a bike on the road just like for mile after mile. Oh my, how boring. I couldn't, I can't possibly do that. And, and I just stuck with my rock climbing and mountaineering and, you know, the mountain sports that I did, but my, uh, climbing partner, Brian guy who I've done hundreds of, uh, mountain adventures with, he ended up getting cancer. Uh, in his forties, he had, uh, I, I don't recall the details now, but he had a, a bad one and he was told that if it comes back, he'll die. And so he did a very aggressive treatment, killed his bone marrow. Uh, you know, it, it was really quite a, a shocking thing to, to, um, uh, see from beside his bed. And, um, but as a part of his recovery, his immune system was really off and he couldn't do anything in the dirt. There's too many living things that live in the dirt that could get him. And so we had, the only thing we could do that he was allowed to do was ride his bike on the pavement. And so we just took our mountain bikes out. That's all we had. And we rode our bikes all over the foothills of Colorado. And I loved it. I thought, oh my God, this machine is such a perfect device for a human being. It's the human being riding a bicycle is a, a marvel. And the engineering of a bicycle is a, it's like a miracle. It works so well. And I just loved it. I exploring the countryside and the mountains and, you know, learning the, the different roads that went places. And, um, and when he healed up, I, I warned him, I said, Hey, Brian, I'm buying a road bike. And if you want to do stuff with me, you better get a road bike. <laughs> and, uh, and he passed, he said, no, nah, I think I'll, you know, I'll still go into the mountains. And so I just started riding my road bike that I bought. In fact, the, the first thing I did after I bought it 
I actually bought a cross bike because I couldn't bring myself to just buy a regular road bike. But I took my cross bike and I, the week after I bought it, I rode the triple bypass in Colorado. It's 120 miles and 10,000 feet of climbing. And I, you know, on the basis of uh, not, not a ton of, of uh, training. Now, not zero because I had been riding my mountain bike up and down the roads with, with Brian. I mean, I barely got through the end of that thing, cramping like mad. It was truly an adventure, but I just loved it. And, uh, you know, and then I met some guys and I joined a team and I got my ass handed to me all the time. These guys knew what they were doing and I didn't know anything. And I, you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't even have the right uh, flexibility to be able to be aerodynamic on the bicycle anyway. So I, yeah, all right. I'm a competitive person and I didn't like being the slowest person. And so I set about trying to get better and I did get better, but it came at the cost of giving up everything else. That's not, not at all what I expected, man. That's pretty intense. <laughs> is he, is Brian still around with us here? Brian is a good guy who is still around and he is, he is still not right. He still doesn't have a road bike. Uh, <laughs> Does he, he have your uh, cross bike? <laughs> no, no. He, <laughs> he, you know, maybe the thing is that he, he's one of those guys who rides his bike to work. And so he's, he's like the only person I've ever known who actually wore out a bike and he, you know, like it just, just the metal wore out, uh, Cause he just, he rode his, he rides his bike to work every single day. So I guess he just didn't want to ride his bike on the weekends and, uh, any more than he had to. So, uh, but he, you know, he's now doing, um, you know, backcountry, uh, you know, four by four driving, uh, and he still goes by off into the mountains and, and, and I, and I keep thinking that I ought to, I ought to, you know, get back with Brian and, and enjoy myself doing that. And I may yet, now that I'm trying to uh, broaden my uh, athletic base. Well, if it helps, uh, 60 something percent of uh, Fox, you know, the Fox racing shocks. Yeah. So uh, about 60 something percent of their company is actually for uh, off-road vehicles or, or vehicles. It's a power vehicle group. Oh, really? So technically you, you could say you're kind of riding uh, bike equipment with the uh, Fox shocks in there. <laughs> <laughs> so technically 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 <laughs> well there's an asterisk next to that home run uh record there mr mcguire so we're gonna have to take a step back here so you didn't jump uh right into the road biking so you started with with mountain biking and did, did you do the city slicks thing and, and start riding on the pavement that way or, or was just literally taking the mountain bike out and, and going with him with the knobbies and everything slow about a mountain bike that was it you know, we'd, we'd just ride until we couldn't turn the cranks anymore. And, and we'd turn around and come back down the hill. And, um, I, I, I can remember hearing that people went all the way to the top and I thought, Holy cow, that, they're so, they're so strong. How, how could they do that? Uh, you know, uh, in part they were strong, you know, they had that fitness, but they also weren't riding a very heavy mountain bike either. So was that kind of the impetus for 
strength training? Was it for, did you do a structured training plan, either pre-made or with a coach? Like how did you progress? Cause it sounds like you went from dabbling, uh, maybe a week or two later. Uh, and then essentially you were all in like, did, did, was it just you going out and riding and riding and riding, and riding, trying to do more each time? Or did you actually have a little bit of a structured plan? Well, the team had skill courses and would do team rides and I was, you know, and I would, I signed up for things like trainer road and, uh, and things like that to, um, you know, improve my fitness. Uh, I also did, um, uh, racing on the velodrome, uh, which was really, uh, I, I highly recommend it. Um, but not unless you can afford to go to the hospital sometimes. Uh, it's a, it's a racing on a velodrome is a marvel. It's a three-dimensional riding as you go up track and that sort of thing, but there's no brakes and it's fixed gear. So you can't stop pedaling. And, uh, you know, and when you try to stop pedaling, then, you know, the bike tries to kill you. Uh, and, uh, and it's a lot of people going at their hardest all within a small little space. And so things happen with that. But anyway, from a fitness point of view, it's fantastic. It really trains you. It trains you in a couple of ways. One is it trains you how to get aerodynamic on a bike. And, uh, and uh, another thing that it does is it, uh, it really builds your anaerobic capacity because it's, it, you know, a long, a long race would be 10 minutes long. And it, and so it's essentially all out for, you know, parts of that. And you've got to learn how to recover. So um, I was sort of born, I guess I have to give my parents credit for, or blame for me being born a, a slow twitcher. And so endurance and, and going out and riding hard for nine or 10 hours, that was something I could do with uh, a small amount of um, training. Uh, but being able to put out high power and bursts of high power and recover that I had to train. And that came from riding on the track. How did you get roped into riding on the track? Cause I know uh, for me, the sell to masters is very hard, even though they're the ones who need the skills and they have far more to benefit. Like you, it sounds like you have a story perhaps there about going to, to the hospital from a, a track accident or two as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd uh, show you my uh, scars here. I've got two pins on this collarbone. Um, but it, it was a, it, another interesting story. I, I was riding in the mountains with some guys who were better than me uh, in climbing, but I hung with them pretty well. And, and one of them one time accused me of being a climber trapped in a sprinter's body. And he, one day I was, I was climbing well, and he said, Hey, I'm going to the track in uh, uh, the Boulder Valley velodrome uh, next weekend to get certified, you should go. And I said, why should I go? He said, you'd be good at it. And I thought, well, that's a reason. And so I went and, uh, and I loved it. I actually, you know, this just, I I told you how I, I get addicted to things. I essentially quit riding on the road for a while because I loved the track so much. I would go to the track every time I had a, I 
a chance after work, I'd go on the weekends. It really captured my attention, uh, my imagination. And so I did that for uh, a few years. Uh, I did, yes, go to the hospital twice and, um, and had the occasional odd crash where I didn't have to go to the hospital, you know, I was lucky. Um, but, uh, you know, such is life. Well, the, the track is a very unique skill set, right? So, and you touched on each of them. It's a, it's a 3d, actually, I think it's 40, uh, although whoever invented the 3d chess game, I've, no idea, you know, Sheldon Cooper probably. <laughs> uh, but it's such a, a intense uh, focus on a number of levels. The skill set, uh, like you mentioned, not having breaks. I, I work with the, the track team here now. Uh, and it is a completely different beast that once you race or even just ride track a couple of, of times, riding on the road, even with crazy drivers, you know, granted that's a little bit more dangerous, is a lot easier because you can coast, you can use brakes. You don't have to worry about everything that's going on around you. Did you find after your 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 track uh, accidents or or even before that 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 the road or riding on open trails was a lot easier to you because you had those skills developed from the track side? Absolutely, yes. It was a very hard transition to go from not racing on a bike at all to racing on the track because there's a ton to learn and there's a ton of scary stuff to get past, but that's how I did it. And, and I, you know, and I credit the coaches who were there who helped make it easy. You know, they would do little, you know, call it bunny races, you know, uh, like a bunny slope type thing. It would just be easy races with few people and they would just kind of help you to get your feet wet and, get a sense of how it worked. And then it slowly ramped up to where you would do more and more, and then you would do real races, but they would tell you to be cautious. And eventually you got to where you knew what you were doing. And then I found to my surprise that somebody said, Oh, you know, why don't you join the team? We're all going to, we're going to have a big group doing this crit. And I thought, Oh, crits, I don't know, maybe that's dangerous. And I went and I did a crit and it was like, Oh, this is nothing compared to a track race. This is easy. <laughs> The opposite of what most masters say, the crit's the hardest thing I've ever done. Let, let me take a step back for a second because most masters uh, are, are petrified. Well, number one, a lot of areas don't have a velodrome, right? So in Pittsburgh, we had a quote unquote velodrome, which really was uh, the old driver's ed course, which was turned into four banked corners, half mile circuit with a little bump in the middle. So not really a velodrome, Ooh. but going up and down those banked turns was a lot of fun. Like for me as a cyclist, that really taught me how to descend better, uh, how to, to angle the bike a lot better. Because uh, when you don't do it right, it gets really scary very fast. Uh, and it was asphalt. Uh, so you can imagine the, the fun that would have. If you were to, to kind of have a listener out there who's fairly new to, to riding. And when I say new, two or three years of road riding, maybe mountain biking, and they, they'd like to get better on the bike. They would like to meet you in Italy to ride this uh, uh, course. What would be two or three things that you've learned in your time going from mountain biker to cyclocross bike on the road to track racing? 
that would help expedite their process to enjoying the ride more and being a, a, a more savvy rider, both from a fitness standpoint and safety standpoint? Yeah. Well, so three things I'd say. One is you got to know how to handle your bike. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Riding on a track is one of them. And you don't have to race. You know, if you're, if you really cannot tolerate a crash, then, you know, maybe racing is a little, is a bridge too far, but, uh, you know, just riding in pace lines and, and, you know, riding around in the track, it really teaches you to control your bike doing courses. I, I, uh, the, the, um, uh, the racing association in Colorado, when I first started as a part of the cat five group, they had, a, they had courses for beginners to learn how to, uh, you know, pedal through corners and how to, you know, hop over obstacles and, you know, just things like that. So that you, um, wouldn't crash the first time something different happened. Uh, so there's all different kinds of ways, but number one, learn how to handle your bike, learn, learn how to anticipate problems before they, they come to you and, uh, you you'll, you'll be far ahead of the game and avoid having to buy new parts for your bike and buy slings for your arm to rest in. Uh, the second thing is for any kind of a tour and i think really for anything related to having fun on a bike aside from the track is endurance so there's only one way to get endurance and that's to ride your bike and uh and and the older you are the harder recovery is the more you've got to have discipline and not going hard when you're doing your long you know what they what what they call base miles, you, you know, it, that that's what cycling is and have fun with your friends uh, and talk while you ride. And if you can talk and ride, you're at the right pace. Uh, if you are by yourself, then breathe through the nose. If you can breathe through your nose, you're at the right pace. If you can't do those things, you're going too hard for building up your endurance. And then the last thing would be especially if, if you're going to be doing things that involve climbing and I, and, and that I think is one of the funnest things about riding a bike going uphill and going downhill is you've got to have the ability to go hard sometimes. And you don't want to do too much of that because it wears you out and it's hard to recover. And it just takes you away from all of the other things that you want to do uh, that would, that would be some stress on your body because you're still recovering from the last thing you did, but a little bit of really hard work will take you a long way. So it sounds like when it came to putting together uh, the questionnaire, essentially to fill in the gaps, you've had quite a number of experiences on the bike. This isn't just someone who's a roadie, who's done a lot of miles, uh, or someone who's worked in, in the startup world as, as looking for uh, different things. You're really coming at this with uh, a lot of experience, personal and otherwise, uh, and perspective of kind of, you know, what's the larger picture here? And with all these different experiences, track, mountain bike, road, gravel, making that transition, um, understanding the strength training, you really took the time to 
settle down for a minute and just say, what are the most important things here? And what are the 12 things that are the common pitfalls that I've seen myself or others fall into? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it was a lot more than a minute. Uh, it, it was months of, it, it was not months of work, but it was months of, of intermittent work and a lot of pondering and, and trying to fit the puzzle pieces together and failing until I finally did come up with a way that it all sort of made sense. And just to be clear, uh, most of this stuff that we've been talking about here in the last half of our conversation, you know, about uh, bike tours in Italy and riding on the track and, uh, you know, bicycle handling skills, none of that stuff is in this questionnaire. The questionnaire is, is fitness practices and it's not intended to see if you have optimized any particular thing, but rather finding where you have weaknesses, which is the same thing as saying there are some easy but powerful things you could do that you're not doing yet, and you should do them in order to flatten out, stabilize your foundation, fill in the gaps so that you've got this strong foundation on top of which now you can put your extra effort into the one or two things that you really are focusing on. There's so much more that, that I'd, I'd like to get into, but I think uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll stop here for today. Um, you've covered a lot here. I mean, we're talking about uh, your learning as you've gone through the podcast, uh, talking to different experts, your, your experiences, uh, both professionally and as an athlete. Joe, what you've done here is, is not only have you cultivated um, a routine for yourself and a lifestyle of things that you enjoy based around fitness and biking, but you've also brought a lot of uh, the listeners of the Wise Athletes podcast along for the ride to, to learn as you learn and uh, to ask the, the tough questions. If you were to kind of sum up what you'd like to get out of the coming year, what would be the one thing that you would like to personally accomplish and one thing that you would like the listeners of the wise athletes podcast to, to take away from the next year here? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and one that I really haven't put a lot of thought into, but uh, I'll, I'll just tell you what I'm been thinking about here lately. And that's this business of habit formation and habit breaking. And I'm actually on a quest right now to master this for myself. And uh, I'll then try to reformulate what I come up with by you know, reading and taking classes and talking to experts in that area. I will, on that area as well as what on the, you know, the cardio and the strength training and the core and the, you know, the 12 uh, fitness practices that we talked about earlier. I'm going to simplify this and make it accessible to regular people so that people do not have to feel like they have to go get a, a neuroscience PhD in order to be able to uh, configure their own healthy habits so that they do not have to struggle so much to change their behavior so that they can be a healthy person. Absolutely love it. 
Well, Joe, I, I want to thank you for taking the time here today to, to hang out and, and talk. Uh, it's been really interesting to kind of hear about your path, uh, how you came up with uh, the 12 elements of fitness and how that's developed. Um, can you tell the listeners where to find you personally or, or to where to catch the Wise Athletes podcast? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the website, as you mentioned, I'll mention it again, is wiseathletes.com. So that's the word wise, W-I-S-E. And then athletes, A-T-H-L-E-T-E-S.com. And there, from there, you can find, uh, you know, my email address. You can leave a message. You can find all the podcasts. You actually can find access to the questionnaire to take the, take the assessment if you wanted to. Um, uh, it all is free. We don't have anything for sale. And um, I hope that if there's you have any interest in any of uh you know what we put on the podcast that you'll listen to it and uh, get some benefit out of it awesome joe thank you so much for your time today uh, i'm looking forward to talking some more yeah i love it it's always good talking to you Menachem. Hey, Menachem here, and I just wanted to ask if you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast episodes, please hit the subscribe button. Our goal here is to hit 50,000 subscribers or followers in 2023 before year's end, and it would really mean a lot to me to have your support and to know that you are out there listening, looking forward to each weekly episode that we put out here at the SSCT podcast. Thanks, and have a great week. Talk to you guys next Sunday. That's it for this episode. Check out humanvortextraining.com for more great content and to keep learning.